Book of Genesis, chapter 3, verses 16 through 20, and can be found on page 3 of your pew Bible. Genesis, chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. May God bless the reading of his word. So last week I introduced the new sermon series that will occupy us for the next, oh, four or five weeks or so. Basically, it ties in with our five-year congregational focus. You know, the question, overriding question is, what can we do, how can we strategize and utilize the skills that we developed in our vocation, not just to make a living for ourselves and to provide for our families, but to influence people for the work of God, the life of God, to influence people for God, and to serve people. Often enough, the problem is that you know, we spend five days at work, maybe six days at work, and one day at church, or half a day at church. And often we conceive of the, the church time is our time for God. But as Scripture looks at it, as Scripture comes to Adam and Eve in the garden, as Scripture comes to us, it portrays the five or six days just as much as devoted to God as the one. And the question is, how can we use this time at work? Not just to make money, not just to make a living, not just to make a name, not just to make a reputation. But how can we use the time we spend at work and the skills we acquire at work to influence people for God and to serve people. How can we serve God with our lives seven days a week rather than just part of one? How can we serve God not just when we lead Bible studies, not just when we serve on worship team, not just when we preach or teach, not just when we look after the children in this children's program, not just when we lead home group. How can we serve God and, and serve others in our vocations as well, the other five or six days a week. And we started last week, and we see in the act of creation, what we see in, in Genesis 1 and 2 is God creates. Actually, the text says at some point, God works. God worked the first day when he created, and he worked the second day, and he worked the third and the fourth and the fifth day, and he worked the sixth day. And he makes us in his image so that just as our God works, so we work. Now, 
I can imagine already some objection for some of you. It, it may not be transparent how what you do during the week actually serves God and how it serves other people. And that may not be transparent. In some vocations, it's not transparent. So we'll be spending some time over the next year or two exploring within different vocations. How can we use this task, this job, this field, to honor God and to serve others? Or how can we use those skills acquired in the course of this job, this task, this field, how can we use those skills acquired to serve God as volunteers in other capacities? We'll look at how can we shape the direction of the field in a way that honors God and serves other people. So if you don't automatically or immediately see how your job 9 to 5 is, or 8 to 6 is going to influence people for God, keep that thought in mind. We'll dip back into it over the course of the next several years and at concentrated times over the next few years. We'll look at, in, in particular within individual fields, how can we use these skills? You know, the two examples we've had so far have been serving the underserved. But how can we use our field in other ways to honor God or to serve other people? Now, for the moment, for this sermon series, what we want to do is construct a conceptual framework. Thoughts have consequences. So we want to shape our thinking. How does Scripture guide our thinking? And then we'll look at the implementation of this in the months and years to come. So the first way that Scripture shapes our thinking is this. It portrays God as working, creating us in His image and calling us to work. What the text told us from last week is that work has inherent value. God works, and in His image we work, and there is that inherent value in that work. Not always transparent, but it has inherent value. We, we honor God not just when we come together to sing, not just when we come together to listen to preaching, not just when we come together to fellowship in home groups. We honor God as we work. Work serves God. Your work serves God, not just my work. Your work serves God. We'll explore in the months and years to come how you can serve God more effectively through your work. But this is what Scripture affirms to begin with, is that your work is designed to give you an opportunity to serve God. The fact that you work is an opportunity to serve God. We live for God not just on Sunday, but for every day of the week. Work brings significance to our lives. It brings purpose to our lives. That's what Genesis 1 and 2 would teach us about work. But there's obviously another side to work. Because if work is meant to bring meaning and significance and usefulness to our lives, surveys vary. Between 50 and 90% of people are dissatisfied with their jobs at any given time. Between 50 to 90% the surveys vary. There's obviously something going on here, something other than the fact that God created work to give us a venue for serving Him and serving others. Work is obviously not functioning as God intended. And that's what Genesis 3 comes to explain. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning of your Bible. We'll focus on verses 14 to 20. 
or 16 to 20. Chapter 3, verses 16 to 20. The first thing that happens in the Bible, God creates. The second thing that happens in the Bible, man sins. Genesis, the first 11 chapters, first 12 chapters of Genesis, what they're trying to do is construct a worldview for us. And the first part of that worldview is there is a God who creates. Second part of that worldview is human beings have an inherent flaw or they develop a inherent flaw. God creates. We sin. And we see in Genesis 3 how sin affects every dimension of our lives, including our work. Turn with me, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman, and here's the verdict, that they've already sinned, and here God comes to mankind, comes to man and woman in their sin, and here's God's verdict. To the woman, he said, God said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Your painful labor, with painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. Oh, I'm sorry. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, to dust you will return. First God creates, then man falls. And what we see is that the fall affects every dimension of our lives, including how we work, including our jobs. What I want to reflect on this morning is the way that the fall does not affect our jobs and then the way that it does affect our jobs, our careers, our vocations. First, the way that it does not affect, and second, the way that it does. So take a look, first of all, what doesn't change now. What the fall does not do to work. The fall does not take the meaning or the purpose, or the significance out of our work. This is what the fall does not do and cannot do. The, the fall does not nullify God's intention for work. It, it doesn't nullify work as divine calling. It doesn't nullify the purpose of work or the goodness of work. The fall does not distort this. It doesn't revoke it. When we looked at Genesis 1 to 2, we saw a couple of things. We saw, first of all, that we were made for each other. Husbands and wives, Adam and Eve, husbands and wife, we were made for each other. We saw, secondly, we were made for work. Both of those realities persist even after the fall. Even after the fall, we can see that work is one of the most fundamental aspects of our lives. It's one of the things we were made for. When God looks at us, what does he see? He sees people, first of all, made for love, made for relationship. But equally with that, he sees people made for purpose, 
made for service, made for work. And the fall does not change that. There is still meaning in our work, even as fallen creatures. There is still purpose in it. It still is a venue for which we can serve God and honor God. It's still a venue through which we can honor and serve other people. I mean, you experience that in daily life. People will ask you, if you're a student, which subjects do you like? And almost everybody has an answer to that question. You were wired, we were wired, to learn and to study. And there are things that we have a natural gravitation toward. There are things we enjoy learning. We enjoy the process of learning. In your job, there are parts of that career that attracted you, that still attract you. There are parts of your work environment that you find rewarding. Almost all of us can experience this. The fall has, has added challenge to it but it hasn't revoked the basic purpose. There are aspects of our jobs that we enjoy. There are aspects of our field, of our working relationships that we still enjoy. And we can get a sense, a sense of reward from success, maybe even a sense that this is satisfying when we achieve some kind of success that we didn't anticipate it or, the, or that we tried hard for. A sense of satisfaction from our job. Even in the midst of a fallen environment, even in the midst of frustration, there are parts of that job that satisfy us. It tells us that the fall has not totally abrogated God's purposes in our job. There are things that we can do. A sense of satisfaction from serving others. A sense of accomplishment where we do well in a job. That tell us that even in the midst of the fall, the job, our workplace, our vocation is still a part of our divine calling. It still has purpose. There's still good in it. I'll just illustrate this concretely because it's springtime. And you, some of you know that I have a garden. Every year I start a garden. And every year it's a challenge to me to whether I'm going to decide okay, I'm going to stop gardening this year or not stop gardening. Because frankly, I'm quite willing to work hard when I'm on the job. But when I go home, the last thing I want to do is work hard. When I'm off the job, I'm off the clock, I don't want to work. And yet I put in a garden. And a garden requires you to do what? Work. So every year, right after I get the garden in, I think, well, that was a lot of work. I'm not going to do that anymore. And then springtime comes. And the warm air, the, or the air warms. You know, and you start to see the buds coming out on the early, the daffodils pop up. You know, you start seeing the buds come out early on the leaves and you think, oh boy, you know, wouldn't it be great to have a garden? And so I do it all over again. Now this year, I've had grape, I have had a couple of grapevines, but they're seeded. I just bought whatever's available at Home Depot and they were seeded grapes. And, and this year I got hold of a catalog from a, uh, well, an online catalog for a, a nursery you mail off to, and you can get all sorts of grapes. And I'm looking at the, all these descriptions of all these grapes, and I'm thinking, you know, I'd like to put in some more grapes. But it's going to take three or four years before I get any grapes out of it. And quite frankly, I don't look after the grapes I have. You know, I practice Darwinian planting. You know? Darwinian farming, survival of the fittest. I, I, one day, one day I'll work. One day I can give it one, one day's work. I don't like to work when it's my time off. I work one day, I plant this garden, 
And then what survives, survives, and I can celebrate it. I don't really care about eating it, you know. It's always an exercise every year to harvest the grapes, to take them in and boil them down into grape juice, or squeeze them down and boil them down into grape juice, or to do, I, it's too, way too much work to make jam out of them. And they got seeds, so I don't want to eat them. So, I don't really need grapes. But my wife had to talk me out of buying more grapes this year. I got nowhere to put them. I mean, I got no room for them. I, where do they grow? I don't know where to put them. I don't really want to do the work. And I don't want to eat them. But there's something rewarding about seeing them grow. In a fallen world, there's a lot of work. But there's something rewarding about seeing them. They grow. And, and having them harvest, it's nice. Even if you don't particularly care to eat them. There's something rewarding about our volunteer service. There's something rewarding about the work we do on our day off. There's something rewarding about our jobs, any of our labors. The fall can't hurt that. Here's the classic. Once somebody in this congregation who also keeps a, a garden has noticed the same thing, pointed the same thing out to me. You know, you plant a garden, and the first two weeks it looks wonderful. It's all neat, and the soil is dark because it's still wet. It's neat and tidy, no weeds. It's all very, just orderly. And a garden looks great for the first two weeks. The fall can't hurt that. The, the fall will add weeds to it later on, but you got two weeks of glory out of it. And that's the point. The first thing we learn is that the fall of Genesis 3 does not totally undermine everything that went on in Genesis 1 to 2. Genesis 1 to 2, work is good. God's work was good. God invites us to work. That's good. The results of our work are good. And the fall will make it harder. But it can't stop that, the goodness of work in itself. But here's what the fall does do. Take a look at verses 16 and 17. Notice the common word in here. Verse 16. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. With painful labor. We have a lot of young moms here. Even with epidural, and certainly if you didn't get the epidural. Can you say amen to this? With painful labor, you will give birth to children. And notice what happens to men. Chapter 3, verse 17, as a result of the fall. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it, from the ground, all the days of your life. Here is the common penalty that comes upon us because of the fall. It uses the same word in Hebrew, painful. Painful labor, painful toil. It's likely that the text implies that labor was always painful, but now only all the more painful because of the fall. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe more severe. Uh, you know, Adam was always called to work. Work always takes energy. But only now is it marred by frustration, by pain. It can be the physical pain of the toil or the emotional pain, the frustration that we face when the weeds come in. But this is the fundamental thing that their fall has done. All those things that we enjoy about work, that comes from creation. 
all those things that are frustrating about work, that comes because of the fall. So our work now has a two-part character. It's got the goodness of creation. It's got the frustration from the fall. And see how this works out in the text. What Genesis does is it illustrates this point. The goodness of creation marred by the frustration of the fall. It illustrates this point through traditional roles. In that time, women were predominantly caregivers. And Genesis describes the original creation of women as caregivers, as helpers to their husbands and as nurturers of their children. And in that time and in that setting, not necessarily always today, men were predominantly responsible for providing for the welfare of their family. Men were predominantly the workers outside the home. And as Genesis looks at the fall, it looks at how the fall affects women in their role as caregivers and as it affects men in their role as wage earners. Let's not get hung up on the traditional nature of the role. It doesn't say that that must always be the role, that men cannot give care to their families and that women cannot be wage earners. But let's look at how the fall has affected those two roles, women as caregivers and men as wage earners. Chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Remember what the two roles of a woman were. Genesis chapter 2.18 captures one of those. It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So a woman is created to be a colleague and a helper to the husband. And a woman is created to bear children. And now what does the fall do? There are pains in childbearing. And there is conflict with the husband. You see, what the fall has done is taken the two primary responsibilities of traditionally assigned to women, and it's complicated those. It's made them hard. And you've got to wonder which is harder. Or perhaps, women, you don't wonder. You know which is harder. For as painful as childbearing is, maybe this conflict with your husband is even more painful. You see... Take a look at verse 16b. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Do you see? What's happening here is a power struggle. Now, as it happens, I have at least two books by psychologists who argue that the second stage, that marriage proceeds in stages. And the first stage is that romantic stage. You know, when you're dating and when you first get married for either three weeks or maybe even up to three months. For my wife and I, I think it lasted about more like three or four weeks. That, you know, that, that romantic stage. And everything's just wonderful and rosy and beautiful and so And then they say you slide into what's called a power struggle stage. And that lasts anywhere from three weeks, three months to ten years. If your marriage continues, even longer. But there's this extended period of power struggle. Why? Because of the fall. The text says here, your desire will be for your husband. The idea is, you're going to want, the women were going to want to kind of rule over their husbands. And the husband, in response, will rule over the wife. So this power struggle is, who's going to reign supreme on whoever knows what the issues are. Sometimes the issues are really small. Sometimes they're really big. But what, who's going to run this relationship? 
And it's a power struggle. Now, there's still glory and meaning and richness and intimacy in marriage. But it's marred by this conflict over who's going to be the leader in this thing, who's going to control this thing. Your desire will be for your husband, you'll try to conquer him, and he will try to conquer you. Your desire will be for your husband, and yet, but he will rule over you. It affects not just the caregiving role for a husband, it also affects the caregiving role for children. I will multiply your pains in childbearing. With pain for labor, you will give birth. So the fall adds struggle to work, to the traditional role of women. The fall adds struggle to the man's role, man's function, his traditional role. See verse 17. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. Notice two effects. How the fall affects our jobs, our vocations, our work. How it affected Adam's job, vocation, his work. Notice two effects. Through painful toil, thorns and thistles, by the sweat of your brow. It adds difficulty to the work during life. And then the other effect, until you return to the ground. You know that bumper sticker? Used to be popular. Nowadays, people spend too much money on their cars to use bumper stickers much anymore. But there was a bumper sticker, amusing bumper sticker for some time. Life sucks, and then you die. Where does that come from? Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Through painful toil, you will eat food from the ground all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. A lot of you guys didn't grow up in the burbs or on farms. A lot of you guys grew up in the city. So let me explain what the problem with thorns and thistles is. It's not just that you touch it. You know, you grab it. and Like a rose bush. You know, you grab that rose and it, and it, and it pokes you. That's not the biggest problem with thorns and thistles. The biggest problem with thorns and thistles is that they grow incredibly well. It's an invariable principle is that the things you don't want in your garden grow better than the things you do want. I can kill a tomato bush really easily. I, I do it regularly, <laughs> not always intentionally. It's a massive undertaking to kill thorns and thistles. You know, a tomato plant, you can just push out, pull out of the ground. Thorns and thistles, you've got to get your shovel out and dig, and dig deeply. And it, it keeps coming back. You can, you can chop it off every year if you want, but it'll keep coming back. And, you know, the, the tomato plant may come up earlier, but those thorns and thistles will override that tomato plant in no time. So it's not just that these things poke you. It's that they're really hard to get rid of. And this is what many, symptomatic of many of our jobs, is that what may have started out with great idealism in our own minds. You know, here's how I'm going to develop this career, and I'm going to succeed. I'm going to push the limits of my field. Or here's how I'm going to help people. And then what we end up seeing is not the progress in our work, not the creation ethic of our work, 
But what we end up seeing is the thorns and the thistles, the challenges that we face. Thorns and thistles are the lot of work in a fallen world. I found a remarkable thing, again, about gardening. I, my job is to look after the outside of the house, not, not the plants. Irene does the plants. I have to look after the lawn, and I plant a garden if I want a garden. So we're looking after the lawn. I have found a remarkable principle of horticulture. Grass grows well only where you don't want it. I get some bald spots in my lawn, and I have to reseed those. Oh, that grass is stubborn. It doesn't want to grow. And you know you have a home, you have a lawn, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't have a lawn yet, buy a condo. <laughs> you want to see that lawn, and that grass is not really interested in growing. But you tear up that grass to put in a garden and watch that grass grow right where you want your vegetables. It's just how it works. The fall affects our jobs. We all know that. We still want to, we, we don't want to get preoccupied with the effects of all. Let's affirm that the, the creation still affects our, our jobs. There's still something good and glorious about working, about the job itself. There's still something great and glorious about helping other people, about honoring God. But we see the effects of the fall on our jobs. And I don't know how it will affect your job. I can tell you how it affects some of the jobs I had. My first indoor job, I started working at 14, uh, uh, mowing lawns for the, for wealthy people who had big lawns. But, but my first indoor job maybe was, uh, or second indoor job was, I was 17, I was working in a factory. My job was to put a piece on a moving peg every five seconds. Do you think the fall affected that job? You know, the fall brought our jobs indoors. The fall gave us mindless jobs. Now, once I could put a piece on a peg f every five seconds well, then I got promoted. And my next job was to put a piece on a peg every four seconds. And by that time, the summer was over. I never got up to three seconds. You know, the, the, the fall makes some of our jobs just drudgery. The, the fall makes some jobs exploitive. I referenced last week, we, we look at the, the Bangladesh, the factory collapse. You know, people trying to earn a living at minimum wage, minimal wage, not minimum wage, minimal wage, trying to make a living. They're unsafe factory, the factory collapses, hundreds of people die. But it wasn't that long ago that those kind of jobs were in the U.S. or those kind of working conditions were in the U.S. And in some hidden places they may still be. Uh, my grandparents were first-generation Americans. My grandparents on one side. The other side was here since the 1600s. But one side, first-generation immigrants, uh, first-generation American-born, my, my uh, grandparents. They left school. At, well, my, mother, my grandmother finished junior high school. And my grandfather got insulted by the teacher one day, and so he just didn't go back to junior high. And at, but by 13, they were both working in mills. In New England, you know, where you now live in a condo, there used to be mills, right? Well, those were full of kids working in long hours, 12 hours. My grandmother told me the story of when their working hours got reduced to 12. In her lifetime, she knew that. 
those kind of jobs that were now in Bangladesh, you know, the government legislation, you know, OSHA regulations got the jobs uh, exported overseas. But Americans had jobs like that. You know the Dickens novels? I never understood why the teachers were having a, why English class we had to read Dickens novels. It, it didn't connect with me at all. But Dickens was a social reformer, writing novels to appeal to the hearts of the wealthy, to bring in legislation to control the factories. Now that's how the fall used to affect jobs. How does the fall affect jobs today? You'd have experience of that daily. But this is the truth of, that Genesis 3 is trying to get across to us. Is that the fall affects everything about our lives, including our vocations. Our jobs are not what we wanted them to be. They're not what they should be. We're not what God wanted them to be. Our jobs affect, or the fall affects our jobs. Wrapping it up. A couple of points from all of this, practical points. First of all, as we explore over the next months and years, as we explore how we can use our jobs to honor God and to serve other people, we recognize this. Our jobs will always have a bipolar character. They'll always be part of God's good creation. And they'll always be part of the fall and the corruption. We have to live within these two parameters. Our jobs will always have some aspect of it that rewards us and, and encourages us. Our jobs will always have some part of it that frustrates us and wears us down. Secondly, the struggles of our job can prepare the way for the gospel. Our experience at the workplace prepares our hearts for the gospel. When we start with great aspirations and expectations, this is a hint, this is a shadow of, how, of God's work in creation. Why do we have great expectations for our vocations? Why do we have great expectations for our jobs? This is a hint of God's creative work. This is a vestige, a remainder. God put that in our hearts. He created us to have anticipation and expectations for our job. It hints at the gospel. We want our work to go well. God gave us that desire. And so the frustrations of the job are also a hint of the gospel. Because they tell us, intuitively we know the truth of what the Bible says in Genesis 3. Work was not supposed to be like this. Work is not supposed to be frustrating. So our jobs themselves preach the gospel in its early stages. Work should be good. Work should not be frustrating. Work should be good because of creation and the creating God. And work should not be frustrating, but it is because of the fall. Our jobs and our experience at the workplace gives us at least two parts of the gospel. God created all things good. And things are no longer so good. The third thing we want to pull from this is that the fall and its impact on life and on jobs the fall provides an opportunity for us if we will use it strategically. And what we'll be exploring over the next years is how can we use this strategically? If life were just creation in Eden, we wouldn't need redemption. It's the fall that provides the context. It provides us the opportunity. How can we exploit the harm done by the fall, the frustrations that come from the fall, how can we exploit this 
to serve other people, to honor God. It's we're obviously having, it's the fall that gives us that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, may the fall stand out in our minds, not for the frustration it begins it brings to our lives, but may the fall stand out in our minds because of the opportunities it opens up, the needs it creates. And may you be with us as we think, as we strategize. How can we use our vocations to address the problems posed by the fall, to bring glory to you and to serve other people? We ask for you to guide us and empower us in Jesus' name. Amen.